who were planning an inter-church youth rally. Ironically, as I remember it, no one in the committee was actually a youth. But however, a name was proposed for the speaker at this event, a well-known pastor and preacher, although one of the committee members had some reservations and objected, saying that they had heard that this man had what he described as strange views on the rapture. The chairman of the committee quipped, So what? There's Bob McAvoy sitting there in this very committee, and he doesn't even believe in the rapture. I am that same Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata podcast. So is there such a thing as the rapture, and do Reformed Christians believe in it? Well, the word rapture simply means joy, ecstasy, elation. And in that sense, of course, we certainly believe in it. In the context of the Lord's return, there will be great joy among true believers in Christ, who will go to heaven to be with the Lord forever and ever. So, of course, there will be rapture. If you search for the word rapture in a search engine, you'll also find a definition like this one, found in Wikipedia. And I quote, The rapture is an eschatological theological position held by some Christians, particularly within branches of American evangelicalism, consisting of an end-time event when all Christian believers who are alive, along with resurrected believers, will rise in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Adherents of this perspective are referred to as premillennial dispensationalists. Well, of course, not all premillennialists are dispensationalists. So the question for this podcast and lesson is, firstly, what do those Christian believers, those brothers and sisters in the Lord, who describe themselves as premillennialists or dispensationalists, actually believe? And then secondly, Can we explore the historic position of the Christian Church and what I believe to be an understanding in alignment with the biblical text? So first of all, we're going to look at the dispensationalist rapture. Some of you might remember the Left Behind books. They were a highly successful book series and later made into movies, written and released over a period of a decade or so from 1995, by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. They are fiction, but they are based on a dispensationalist understanding of the rapture. The series begins with Left Behind, the book. The back cover of this book reads, Millions Missing Feared Dead. Fairy collisions claim thousands as pilots, drivers vanish. Panic surges through a Heathrow-bound Boeing 747 as some passengers and crew vanish, along with millions worldwide. Captain Rayford Steele fights to quell hysteria while facing personal tragedy. His wife and son are among the missing. Rumours fly, and fanatics warn about the end of the world. Could they be right? It was the secret rapture. Well, the books were highly successful, 
and hugely influential in American Christianity. To establish this belief that when Jesus comes again, people will just suddenly vanish, car drivers and pilots and so on, with all the resultant chaos that would follow, some dispensationalists will point us to the story of Enoch in the book of Genesis. Now everything that we know about Enoch is found in Genesis 5 verses 18 to 24. But if you look that up in your Bible and look particularly at verse 23, you'll see that it says there that all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Verse 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So the most important aspect of Enoch's life, as far as this study is concerned, is that he never died. He was, in effect, actually raptured, in the dispensationalist sense. He was not in other words, he was no longer here, for God took him. Now some people will point to Enoch as proof that God can certainly remove people from this earth should he choose to do so. Dispensationalists, and it's hard to generalise, for some of them do differ, they believe that there will be a day in the future when Christ will return for his saints, and that is the rapture. Christians will be taken to be with the Lord, Unbelievers will be left behind. They frequently quote the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 40 to 42. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Jesus was talking here about the end times. And we'll look specifically at this passage in our next lesson on Table Talk. For those who are left behind, there is the prospect of seven years of serious tribulation as the Antichrist takes control of the world. The Jews feature prominently in dispensationalist theology, with some so-called tribulation Jews coming to Christ. Yes, that's happening after the church has been taken home, after the rapture. And these now Jewish Christians are mercilessly persecuted by the Antichrist. At the end of seven years, the Lord returns again. This time, he returns with his saints. And he wages war against the Antichrist, what the dispensationalist believers conceive to be the Battle of Armageddon. Centred on the plain of Megiddo, it's a bloody battle. It's a cataclysmic conflict with drones and chemicals and biological warfare, atomic bombs, interballistic missiles, planes, even hand-to-hand fighting. But Christ and his saints are victorious. And with Antichrist defeated and the devil bound, Christ sets up his millennial kingdom for a thousand years on earth, a period that ends with the release of Satan. A final battle and the great white throne of judgment.
So we have done our short summary of dispensationalist teaching, and it is very short and very incomplete. And I apologise to any of my premillennialist brothers or sisters who feel that I've sold them short. But you'll have noticed in that summary that there is a distinction between Christ coming for his people and Christ coming with his people, for his saints and with his saints. Now it's understanding that distinction, it seems to me, that is crucial to understanding the dispensationalist rapture doctrine. So let's explore that distinction for a moment or two. They will tell you that Christ is coming for his saints. If you look at John 14 and verse 1 to 6, you'll see that Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room. It's the week before his crucifixion. And he tells them that he is going to leave them, but that they should not be worried about that. Do not be afraid, for he is going away in order to prepare for them, to establish for them an eternal home, a mansion in glory. And he gives them a distinct promise. He says, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now he did go. He ascended into heaven. And in order to fulfill his promise, which was restated in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, the angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus must return in order to fulfill the promise to his people to specifically receive his waiting people and take them to their home in heaven. So argues the dispensationalist, there must be a rapture at the end of the church age in which Jesus will come for his people. But they will also tell you that at the end of the tribulation age, he's coming with his people. Now this seems to be what Paul is writing to the Thessalonian saints about. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11 to 13, when he writes, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now pay attention to that last phrase. He is coming with all his saints. And dispensationalists place this coming, which they sometimes call Christ's revelation, seven years after the rapture, following the Great Tribulation. So what is there about the dispensationalist scheme of the second coming that we would disagree with as Reformed Christians. Well, there's plenty to disagree about, but there's also much to agree about. For example, we believe that Jesus will return. So we agree that Jesus will come for his people, and we agree that Jesus will come with his people. And yet there is a difference between premillennialist theology and the Reformed understanding of the Second Coming. And I believe that difference is in the order and the chronology, the time gap between these two aspects of the Lord's return, coming for and coming with. 
and that's where we must go now. I want to look now at the comfort of the Lord's return. In the past year or so in Ballymacashan Congregational Church, we've been spending Tuesday evenings exploring end times theology from a Reformed perspective. And we've been learning that the last day on this earth, the culmination of history, will be when the Lord Jesus returns. We've learned that there will be the resurrection of the dead, and we've learned that the judgment day will have come. It's a very simple understanding of how the world will end. We call it the general resurrection of the dead. We find evidence for it in John 5, verse 24 to 30. We are specifically told there that Jesus will come to raise both the wicked and the righteous dead. In verse 28 in that passage, he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice, and they will come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So how can we understand the rapture with its coming for and coming with dimensions in the light of the fact that on that day there will be one single resurrection, one single coming of the Lord before endless eternity? Well, because this is about sequencing and timing, we have to closely examine a passage in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. And I think it would be worthwhile reading it right now. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now let's pay strict attention to the text. The first thing that we see is that Jesus, in this text, comes with his saints. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In First Thessalonians, this clearly happens first. God will bring with Jesus, those who are already in heaven with him, those saints who have died and gone to heaven. 
they will come first. For Paul instructs the Thessalonians that those believers, those saints who are still alive at his coming, will not precede the dead in Christ. So in this passage, Jesus comes with his saints. But then, in the same passage, Jesus comes for his saints. When those saints who have come from heaven with the Lord have been reunited with their new resurrection bodies, then the living saints will join them in the resurrection. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now let's put those two aspects together, the coming with and the coming for, into one event. Let's think how it will happen. There will be a great shout. There will be the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and the Lord shall appear with the souls of his saints who have gone before. They are reunited with their bodies as the great resurrection of the dead takes place. And as those resurrection bodies rise to meet the Lord in the air, the living saints are caught up together with them. So in this one great climactic event, Jesus comes with his saints and for his saints. Now, how big is the gap between the with and the for elements of this event? The twinkling of an eye. It will happen so quickly that it will be humanly imperceptible. It is two aspects of the one event, like two sides of the one coin. But finally, there's two more aspects of this second coming that we discover in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Well, obviously, the first of those has to be that it's not a secret rapture. You read the text, you'll see it's anything but secret. It's noisy, and it's loud, and it's visible. There won't be any instances of taxi drivers suddenly vanishing while at the wheel, no one being aware of it happening. Everyone will know, saint and sinner alike. Secondly, this passage is only speaking to Christians. This passage is about believers. It finishes with the words in verse 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now that's really important, because there is no comfort for unbelievers in this text. For there is no second chance. There is no gospel of the kingdom going to be preached during the great tribulation. There is no opportunity to repent after the Lord's coming. So this is really serious. It's why we must be ready for that day right now. For Christ may come at any time when we least expect it. Let's think, what will the unbeliever experience in the instant that the Lord comes with and for his saints? Well, for the unbeliever it will be a devastating day. It will be a day of woe and terror for the ungodly as they are ushered out of this world only to face judgment for their works only to stand condemned in their sins before God, to be confronted with their terrible fate as they find themselves in the blinding presence of the Holy God before whom no sin can ever be countenanced and left without excuse and reunited with these 
disgusting zombie-like bodies of the resurrected ungodly. They will cower away into the darkest caverns of hell, into the lake of fire, to be punished physically and spiritually for all of eternity. There will be no one in aeroplanes wondering where the pilot has gone, for they too will be gone, but sadly gone to another place. So do we believe in the rapture? Well, in essence, yes, we do. We just don't call it that, not because the term is not biblically mentioned, but because of its dispensationalist connotations. But we do believe that Jesus will come again, with his church and for his church, on that great resurrection day. In our next Table Talk podcast, we will look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 40 to 42. And we look at the great division that will occur on Resurrection Day and see what it means when Jesus warns one will be taken, the other left.